Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show podcast for this week, taken from my radio show. Some of the music will be trimmed shorter, but if it is played in full, it is with full permission of the artist. Otherwise, it's trimmed for rights reasons. Please enjoy this podcast, and if you want to catch us live, you can catch us on the Bear.Live every Thursday, 8pm till 10pm UK time. For now, please enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. from the Firesign Theater. Whenever I'm kind of wandering around the blogs trying to find something really interesting, I go to the bear and I ask the bear to show me the Dr. Squee Show. It's wonderful. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I'm Dr. Squee and this very much is my show. Now this week we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, We've got a great show for you. That's not different. Of course, we've always got a great show for you. But this week we welcome my friend Simon Spindles Potast to the show. He was one of the press outlets. Well, he wasn't himself a press outlet, but he represented his own press outlet, which is uh, thewonkyspanner.com. And he went to the Oscars. And I thought, look, how often do you get the opportunity where a friend of yours has gone to the Oscars to speak to them about the ceremony and about the films this year? So he came on to do just that with me. We pre-recorded this the other day. It was a great time. Uh, We spoke a bit about how the Oscar ceremony is very different this year. Obviously, that uh, might have been part of the reason why he got his press credentials, not to take anything away from spindles, but uh, obviously a different ceremony this year. And we had a great time talking about it. We also talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we've got some songs tonight themed around the movies and the Oscars, uh, and a little bit themed about around Falcon and the Winter Soldier. When I say a little bit, there's one song. It's the Avengers theme. Look, I'll just give it away now. But we're going to kick it off all off now with a great track. This is from Beautiful South. I've come for my award. Enjoy. going to do something a little bit different so this is the first time that the dr squee show is going to the oscars of course we're not going to go there literally because it was a couple nights ago and no one went there literally but one man who went there in spirit to talk about it and to uh, cover it in press is our friend from the wonky spanner please welcome simon spindles spotast uh, if i can spell out his name hello spindles how are you doing tonight sir no very well thank you sir how are you let me just butcher that intro a little bit and then we'll get going yeah, sure. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about uh, the Oscars and then we're going to go on to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, so first of all, it's very exciting and I have to congratulation, congratulate you 
for getting pressed to the Oscars. Uh, tell us how that came about, sir. Uh, well, interesting. I mean, I've, I've been on the Oscars press list for many, many years and kind of right back in the early days when we started uh, doing podcasts with Nerd vs. World and stuff, we kind of set the bar of things that we would want to do in order to prove how that, that we kind of made it. And one of those was getting to the Oscars. And I've never actually kind of plucked up the nerve to apply for credentials before until this year. And I imagine it's because th things were very different this year because obviously attendance at the ceremony was... Uh, mainly limited to those who were taking part and then there was, was a, say, things were different this year anything happened particular <laughs> no right uh so yeah because of that it, it wasn't in the dolby theater it was in a train station which was a bit odd so it was in union station in la rather than at the dolby theater where it normally is i imagine because that had a layout that was better for social distancing and stuff because I believe it, it was put together by a couple of, well, in, in conjunction with some epidemiologists who worked on the film Contagion, they were actually there as, as kind of uh, consultants of how they should set up the Oscars to be safe. So even like this is the level to which they incorporate the movies into everything, even their experts are from previous movie movies where they're, they've advised. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the whole thing was, it was directed by Steven Soderbergh, the actual Oscar ceremony, to be potentially like a three hour movie where some awards were given out. So they had a kind of radically different concept for the entire thing. And obviously they had online application for, for, for journalists for this year. So I applied, uh, in the thing and, and thought nothing of it until I actually got an email back saying, congrats, you're in. And I was like, what, really? <laughs> that's, okay, that's cool. I uh, uh, just spent several weeks wondering if it was like sent out in error or something until they actually finally sent out the credentials. I, I must admit, I, I was worried because I got my dates mixed up and I thought it was actually last Sunday, not the Sunday just gone. So I sat there on the Sunday afternoon going, oh, still not got the credentials yet. Oh, what's going on? And then I looked up and was like, ah, it's next week. That's my mistake then. <laughs> yeah, because you want to look like a pro going into these things. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I was just, I was all ready just to kind of leg it to the office and get uh, and do everything. But uh, yeah, then realized it was a week later. But that, that was fine. Gave me an extra week to watch stuff and prepare. I mean, mate, I, I, as I say, I am just uh, inordinately proud that you got this opportunity. Although I am starting to regret your kind of saying to me one day, it's like, you know, I don't care what has to happen. I just want to be the, you know, get credentials to, to be pressed for the Oscars. Now you see that evil monkey paw like deal that you <laughs> made with the devil on this one. <laughs> this is true, yeah. But you know, I, it, it was great. I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't actually get to ask any questions. I tried. I tried my hardest for some of the ones. Like I was like a hair's breadth away from asking Trent Reznor a question, which would have made my existence. Um, but you know, there were there were four hundred journalists in in the press room, all kind of in a virtual Zoom meeting. So the way yeah. it worked is everybody's microphones were muted, and then they announced who was coming into the press room, and you had to raise your virtual hand to ask a question. Then they picked you, and then swapped onto your camera you asked the question um so i mean because of the fact it was zoom and stuff a lot of time got wasted with each person going can you hear me can you see me am i coming through are you all right can you see me? i can see you but i can't hear you 
so like each person they only had like six to eight minutes to talk to them and about two or three of those was wasted with sound checks sadly but uh, uh thus is the the joys of technical issues and it's got to be worth saying that uh like i watched it uh some of the oscars i've just kind of dipped into some of the highlights and i do understand of course there there was no way this wasn't going to be a very weird hybrid beast uh, of course we kind of like lost a lot of the biggest films got uh moved forward to next year or just yep. didn't come out yet at all yep. like you know they don't have a projected date so there was all these things which changed did they give any indication why they didn't show movie clips though this was seemed like such a bizarre choice no there, there was no indication why why they did that in the format so no uh, I, I i don't know that had to be an editorial decision and and is a very bizarre one and is right up there with the decision to swap best picture to before best actor and best actress which kind of left the entire event finishing on a well here's the best actor but he's not here so thanks and good night yeah and Instead by the of, way it isn't the guy who everyone wanted to win well yeah that, that that's an entirely different matter but i mean the fact that in, in, in any way shape or form neither of them was going to be there to accept the, the award whichever way you look at it uh so i don't know why they didn't keep best picture at the end because literally all the people from nomadland were there and won other oscars over the course of the evening so why not finish on an up of the best picture like always with all the attendees who were there to stand up and go yay uh, it was and, a weird decision and you've got this kind of uh, situation whereby again like you know the, these movies some which were still kind of big glorious movies like and you know we uh do nothing to do down the movies which were there and did come out this year there was some wonderful stuff which came out oh yeah uh, despite the pandemic however given that you've lost a lot of the big blockbuster movies which would usually be somewhere here in the mix it just seems like such a weird choice to to suck just a little bit more air out of the room why not having clips and isn't this a wonderful opportunity to showcase these films which some of which never would have won oscars previously and they've yeah. got this wonderful opportunity and certainly that, that they're when, when you're talking about things like technical categories so for like editing and sound and things not being able to show clips of them to go here's why they won is a very very odd choice indeed i mean i can kind of get that, that with the with the actors and the directors and everyone it went more in favor of of the person who was presenting the award talking about the person and what they'd done and and a bit of ego stroking and things there yeah that, that that didn't really work for the technical categories and there was no kind of just there was no being able to quickly justify why this thing had won so for example with sound of metal that sound is obviously such a massively important part of the film and the creative process of the film because the sound or the lack of sound is actually kind of a character in the movie so to not even briefly show that seems like a very very bizarre thing because it it then doesn't give anybody any incentive to then go and watch it based on that it's just like well it won but we're not telling you why and if uh, if i'm not mistaken it was renee zellweger which gave the best actress uh trophy i believe uh i i i don't know i as i said on online i actually missed best actress and best actor being handed out because i was in the press room doing the trent resner interview and completely blanked on what was going on on my other monitor we'll say for argument's sake it doesn't matter too much for what i was going to say anyway but we'll say it was her who gave it up and as she was giving this all kind of like this real big up to all the uh, actresses going it's like oh 
Thank you, uh, Kerry Mulligan, for giving us this awe-inspiring uh, performance of a tortured woman who's kind of lost so much and now kind of is on a mission of vengeance. Thank you. Thank you to this actress for giving this performance who did this. How amazing it was. And then you got Joaquin Phoenix came up for best actress. Like, right, it was uh, Chadwick Boseman. It's, you know, it just reads out yeah. the names and that's it. I kind of loved him for that because he's going, sorry, if you're not going to play clips, I'm just reading the names. I'm not robbing any extra source in this shit. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's certainly not known for stroking other people's egos. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a very down-to-earth guy by all accounts. It sort of felt like they were leaving it up to the people presenting the awards to do the jobs which like, they're meant to do by presenting it well. Maybe, maybe it was, I don't know, because, it, again, it was another decision taken was to not have a host and instead just have multiple people coming up and talking. Exactly. Again, just, just another way in which you could just add some life, add some depth, add at least that sense of familiarity. It was, yeah. I think, probably always going to lose some viewing figures by the fact there wasn't going to be the usual Oscars. However, well, I mean, have you seen the viewing figures? Oh, God, yeah, it's like halved from the previous halved, low. Halved versus last year, and it's kind of a quarter of what it was like two or three years ago. It's just like, it, it just shows the impact, really, that it's impacted movie going so much that people aren't even watching award ceremonies now. But I can, uh, five gets you ten, that they could have at least bumped that up by creating it, uh, doing it in a really interesting way, like mm. perhaps attracting some viewers they don't usually have who would go, oh, I wonder what they're doing. Oh, they're doing nothing. Oh, I'm off then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. That They didn't have any of the kind of the normal film skits that they do at the start. They normally have opening sketches that kind of parody all the movies that have come out that have been nominated and stuff. There was nothing like that in there either. Yeah, it really felt like and they then, just went, it's like, well, we can't do what we'd usually do, so, meh, not going to bother, really. Just here's... here's that, did you did you catch the In Memoriam section? I didn't. Right, I mean, because normally that's like a sombre affair with, you know, like nice music in the background. It's all very sombre and, and respectful. The, the music in the background was like... Da, 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 and everything was just, like, really fast-cutting. And it was like, wow, okay. <laughs> They're speeding through that, then. Wow, did like uh, one of the C-sectors, do they have a picture of them with like the mouth moving Monty Python stylist going, that's all folks, at the end. Uh, it was it was very rapid, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting, a few interesting choices they made in a year that was already going to be difficult. Uh, but mm -hmm. let's uh, talk about some of the films. So uh, like what kind of percentage of the films had you managed to see in advance? Um, well, probably about a quarter of the films. Um, a lot of them I didn't manage to get. So some of them just aren't even available in the UK yet at all. So the availability of them was was always going to be an issue. I mean, I'd seen a few of the, the best picture contenders. So I'd seen Mank and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, ones like that. So, yeah, I, I, I got through as many as I could and as many of the kind of short films as I could as well. Um, but I mean, thankfully, I'd, uh, I managed to catch a few of them that did go on to win. So, like the the best uh, animated short um, that was that's a very very powerful film called uh, "If Anything Happens, I Love You," uh, and it's uh, kind of grief, gun violence. Uh, it's a very so, very hard hitting piece. What we'll do, sir, is we'll go through the categories and the yep, winners, sure. and we'll just kind of like uh, fill in where you've seen uh, some of these and where yeah, I yeah, might yep. have seen a couple of them. So we've got for cool. best picture, a uh, winner, Nomadland. Um, have you seen that one yet? 
I, I haven't seen Nomadland yet. No, that's one that I haven't managed to get to see yet. The Father? Uh, no, that's not actually available yet, I don't think. Judas and the Black Messiah? I haven't even heard of that one before. Uh, I mean, I, I'd, I'd heard of it, but again, that's not one I've seen. Uh, okay, Mank, Mank's one we know you've seen. Mank, I've oh, definitely seen. You know. Yeah, so yeah, The Father definitely isn't out yet. I think that's got a release date in June. Uh, but yeah, Mank, Mank is on Netflix now, and I have seen it. Have you, you seen it? No, no, not yet. Like, again, there's about two on here I'll be able to help out with. But like, tell okay, us a bit cool. about Mank and uh, how that film was. So Mank, Mank is the story of the writing of Citizen Kane. So from the, it, it's a kind of biopic. So it's about, uh, uh, I forgot his name. Something Mankowitz, and I've forgotten his first name now. I think it's Herb. But I'm going to have to double check it just because I don't want to look like an idiot. It does sound like one of those ones which not only it's like really surprising there's never been a big film about it before, but also one which is kind of ripe for uh, Oscar attention, certainly. Yeah. So, yeah, Herman Mankiewicz is his name. So that's the name of the actual writer who, who wrote it. So it's the story of him and it's a... It, I, I won't go into all, all of the technical stuff, but it, it is, it's very intelligent, very cleverly put together, certainly in terms of the cinematography. Uh, it's all black and white. Uh, it's all filmed to look and sound like you're watching it in a theatre in the kind of 1930s. So even down to the fact you have the little cue dots that appear in the top right of the screen when it's time to, for the projectionist to change the reel so you get those and then you get the jump cut of what happens sometimes when you swap from projector to projector you actually get the jump cut in the footage on the screen so it's it's very very clever in terms of cinematography uh and then obviously the, the music is is nice as it's trent Reznor, atticus ross uh who who did the soundtrack for mank as well um but yeah it's a cracky film gary oldman who was nominated for best actor for it uh yeah don't, don't know what else i can say about it really but no, it, no, no. it's for, for anyone who kind of is interested in the history of cinema it's a very good one to see because it's it's a lot about the politics of the studios at the time uh and kind of says a bit about kind of the, the story of how orson wells got the film made and the kind of ensuing fallout the fact that Mankiewicz never well he, he got credited as a as a co-creator but uh, it was a big fight for him to get the credit on the film because Orson Welles wanted it to be all his excellent I love it um so next one was uh Minari Minari again I don't believe Minari is available yet in the UK no. uh that is Stephen Ewan from The Walking Dead etc is in that one who played Glenn in The Walking Dead. Excellent. And we've got A Promising Young Woman. Woman. Now, this is one I did want to talk about. This one I caught yesterday. Have you seen it yet? Uh, I haven't seen it. No, nope, no. Nope. Available in the UK on uh, Now TV, I believe, and Sky Cinema. Uh, it's a Sky Cinema kind of original, which, again, sort of tells you a little bit about this year, the fact that an Oscar winner now for a screenwriter, which we'll get on to, 
uh, is premiering on a satellite channel as opposed to in the cinemas. Um, yeah, quite quite a few of them are labelled as originals of whatever the, the streaming services. So there's Netflix, Amazon Prime, and yeah, there's, there's a few originals on the list. I think Mank, Mank was a Netflix original, as is The Father, I believe. Is it The Father? Yeah. I think it is. I don't know, I can't remember. Um, but uh, a, a very haunting film. It's really good. I can highly recommend this to anyone. Uh, I was trying to remember, it is, it is Kerry Mulligan, isn't it? Kerry Mulligan, yeah, just to check in, I got a name right. I was trying to remember where I'd seen her from before and it suddenly hit me. She's from Blink in Doctor Who. She was in the uh, Weeping Angels yes. first episode. Yes, she's uh, Sally Sparrow. Sally Sparrow, indeed. And she is amazing in this. It's kind of the story of, if you've seen the trailer, I don't think I'm spoiling too much, but in it, uh, she plays this uh, young woman who basically honey traps these men who kind of are just sleazes. You know, she pretends to be blackout drunk they take her home and then she reveals she's not. And then uh, there's a wider thing where she's out for vengeance. Um, yeah. And again, it's something you, you get fairly early on in the film, so I'm not spoiling anything too much. She's out for revenge uh, for a friend who got uh, date raped when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, you sort of like find out what, what happened to her and how it kind of just got covered up and ignored along the way. So she's kind of out for revenge and it's about how kind of her life has been stilted and you see her trying to kind of break out of this cycle of this just being her life and not really ever managing to. It is haunting not only for kind of the stuff on the surface which it covers, but I think if you're a man and you watch this and there isn't at least one bit you see where you go and like I will speak for myself, there's a few bits which I saw and like I like to think I'm not like the most sleazy men in there. But there's a few little subtle microaggressions which get mentioned or covered in this. And you think, Jesus, I've done that in my lifetime. Like, I like to think I've grown and evolved a lot. But it really, the uncomfort is partly because, like, we have learned a lot in these last few years. Some of us obviously have a lot more to learn than others, uh, especially in Hollywood, kind of ironically, given that this is kind of an Oscar film. And I just think it is a stunning piece of work. You should leave this film feeling a bit uncomfortable, whether you're a woman on the receiving end of some of this, like, evil sexual politics, or if you're a man who just, like, I, I doubt any of us can say we've been perfect over the years. Mm. And just, and even if we have, like, just seeing what men are capable of is just quite shocking, and all of it just rings a little bit too true is the worst mm. of it. Uh, so I thought this was a really powerful piece. I recommend it to anyone. But like uh, I watched it, it was the last thing I watched before bed last night. I wouldn't recommend that. It will give you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it sounds a bit too harrowing for bedtime viewing. I, I watch it early in the evening so you can get an episode of Fraser or something just to, to cheer your evening up a bit. Fair enough, but yeah, because of course that 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 did go on to win best original screenplay. Uh, so deserved. It was just uh, an amazing piece of work, and uh, Kerry Mulligan uh, deserves every accolade for it. I, you know, I was really rooting for. Oh, well, it, was, it was written by Emerald Fennell, who uh, plays Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Uh, uh, amazing piece of work. Just really uh, see if you can, but yeah, just be prepared to be kind of quite disturbed in one way or another. You know, no matter which way it hits you. If you're not slightly made to feel uncomfortable by this movie, you, there's something wrong with you, to be frank. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sound of Metal, uh, have you seen that one yet? That one's uh, no, I, I, again, haven't seen that, but uh, no, as, as I said earlier, I know, know quite a bit about it. So, it's R Riz Ahmed, um, and he plays a, a heavy metal drummer who starts losing his hearing. Um, and it's all about 
kind of that and addiction and yeah it's it's again by all accounts a very harrowing story but this is the the one that has kind of sound as a character through the movie so that the, the way the sound design on it works and this is justifiably why they won best sound for it is that they kind of use sounds that are happening internally in his body and then use those as kind of over uh, like uh, they're, they're kind of really high in the mix so you can't quite hear other things that are going on over all the internal noises awesome and Riz Ahmed just fantastic and everything so like I yeah, don't know yeah. why given Riz Ahmed and heavy metal why haven't both of us seen this yet like, I know given... right yeah it, it sounds like a no-brainer that I should have watched it but that that, it, that actually the sound of metal contributed to my one kind of double take what the hell moments of the evening as it panned past their table and showed it and uh, Misha Collins was sat at the table from Supernatural who plays Castiel and I was like what, what? Why, is, why is Misha Collins there is he in this film and I spent ages looking at it and then the answer came from Digital Spy the next day who obviously clocked the same thing and it turns out that Misha Collins is best mates with the guy who made the film so he was there as a plus one for the evening and literally nothing to do with the film. He was just there hanging out. I was like, that's awesome. But that was I my mean, definite weird what the hell moment. It does feel like it's almost like some of these movies, like The Sound of Metal, the kind of experimental side of it does seem like it would have been in some Oscar contention maybe. But mm -hmm. to have some of these movies profiled as much as they were in so many categories, I think is definitely a feature, not a bug of... Uh, the different landscape of movies this year. Mm, yeah. I think that's wonderful. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, that one's available on Netflix, um, which, another one which I've got to ca catch up on. Yeah, indeed. Again, not not another one that I've seen. That was up for quite a few with Sasha Baron Cohen nominated as Best Supporting Actor from that one, I think. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm going to do, like a bit more kind of uh, better setup of it, is if I go through all the kind of ca the, the nominees, then we'll talk about any which we've seen which we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> you live, you learn with these things. You, you can tell it's my first time covering the Oscars on, on this show. Uh, so Best Actress, we've got winner was Frances Dormant for uh, No Man Land, uh, with, with the weirdest acceptance speech. I will actually break to say that. Actually, no, I'll go through them, then we'll go back. Uh, we've got Verla Davis, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Audrey Day for United States versus Billie Holiday, uh, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, and Kerry Mulligan for Promising Young Woman again amazing um i have to say viola davis when she came up to give her speech that was just, just the weirdest batshit speech i've ever heard she goes um oh like uh my words are the tools and you can tell i love to work and the work is the tools and the tools and the work inscrutable quite frankly i don't know i mean yeah congratulations to her she won and yeah i'm sure well deserved but i i don't know what she's talking about quite um so you said you'd seen uh ma Rainey's black bottom I have. Viola oh, sorry, Francis McDormand was the winner. Sorry, Viola Davis. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, Francis, Francis McDormand won for Nomadland. Pardon me. So, Ma Rainey's Black right. Bottom. Tell us a bit about that one, sir. Um, okay, so this is, well, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is 1920s uh, jazz scene. So it, it's basically all set in a music studio um, on a day of recording an album uh, and it kind of focuses it shifts focus between the band and and Ma Rainey and it's all based on on again real life figures who were on the jazz scene at that time um i i guess the easiest way of saying it is it's a character study piece about these about the various um 
members of the band. Uh, it's all just kind of very heavy talking scenes between them all, uh, the exposition all into the character backgrounds and so forth. But uh, again, in that movie, there were some exceptional uh, performances being Viola Davis uh, and of course Chadwick Boseman, who it, it was an epic, epic performance in that. Um, yeah, I was very, very surprised that he didn't didn't win for that. But then again, I can't compare because I haven't yet seen The Father, so I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins' performance to be able to rate it. I haven't either, but we'll get into Best Actor then. I would like to talk about a bit about Chadwick Boseman, Boseman yeah, yeah, sure. Anthony Hopkins winning. So uh, for Best Actor, we had uh, winner Anthony Hopkins, the father, always a fantastic actor, so no doubt, well-deserved. Um, uh, setting, really setting a record for now being the oldest winner of that award. Uh, has he won before? Uh, he's definitely won before. He won yeah, for sure, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. Of course he did. Uh, Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yen for uh, Man Manari. Mm -hmm. And um, now, see, this is the thing, though. I mean, like, again, I'm, I'm always pleased for Anthony Hopkins, always well-deserved. But given so many things, like, you've got a, an Oscar ceremony uh, after so many Oscar ceremonies in the past being lambasted for uh, Oscar So White. Uh, you've got the fact mm -hmm. that Chazak Bozeman, an amazing, even if short-lived actor, who um, just had the respect of everyone and, by all accounts, a wonderful performance. They mm -hmm. have given Oscars to people for less, let's just say. They, you know, the, there's, there's so many times when, even if the performance wasn't great, which it sounds like um, this, this one was, they've given an Oscar to someone as a makeup Oscar for one which they didn't get one for the one they should have got. They've given Oscars uh, for a body of work, basically. Oh, this guy's never won one, or this gal will give them one. I can't see a reason why you don't give Chaswick Boseman it. Just, just, uh, yeah. I just don't get I, it. I, 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 as I say, I can't fathom it, but then I, I don't have Anthony Hopkins' performance to be able to judge it against. Um, I mean, I know that that performance from Chadwick Boseman was a, a, an amazing performance. Um, and to be honest, pretty much 99% of the world thought he was a shoe in for, for the award. And I, I, I honestly have no idea. And the Academy will probably never explain their decision. They will just say, well, that, that was who won it. So I don't know. I, th I think a lot of people were very surprised. I mean, just my feeling is that, like, you can say, oh, well, it shouldn't be about any of that. It should be about the best performance in that film. Yeah, sure, it should be, but it hasn't been a lot of other times. So I don't know Sometimes why they would now suddenly be such sticklers for that. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, I, I think probably because that there is precedent for them giving the posthumous award to someone in that case. So, you know, if you look at uh, Dark Knight, um, and the performance there, Heath Ledger winning Best Oscar posthumously there, and then going back to Network in like 1972, which interestingly, both of them were Australian. <laughs> Two Australians to win Best Actor Award posthumously. Um, just an odd bit of trivia there for you, but uh, yeah, so th there's definitely precedent for them to, to honour someone by giving them uh, Best Actor. But I think you get someone relevant to him to, to pick up the award and then uh, you've got a magical ending to the night as well there's just so many reasons to give it to him i just mm. uh yeah indeed uh, as i say I, I i really can't explain the decision and i, I very much doubt the academy will ever 
go on record to explain the decision either. No. Uh, so moving on to Best Supporting Actress. So we've got a uh, winner was, uh, and I promise, I apologize in advance, I will butcher this name, uh, Yu Jung Jung for Marini. And I'm probably not within a million miles, but it's my best shot. Uh, Maria uh, Bella Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film. She was pretty, oh yeah, well no, we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Edge, Olivia Coleman for The Father, and Amanda Siegfried for The Mank. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll just kick this one off with, um, yeah, uh, Maria, and I won't try and uh, approach her name again, uh, but for Borat's subsequent movie film, the uh, there's not many people who I think could do justice to Sasha Baron, Barak, Baron Cohen's See, I can't even mention that name tonight. To his level of uncomfortable, his level of just bravery at doing something, uh, and to get um, molested by a right-wing politician uh, for the sake of your art, uh, or very nearly in the hotel room, I, I think is uh, in Rudy Giuliani, who I don't think he's got many ways of defending that, even though he's still trying, bless him. Um, I think it was just a stunning performance. I've never heard of her in anything before or since, but uh, Jesus, if there was anyone who certainly deserved to be in contention, I'm sort of not surprised. I doubted they would ever give the gong to like anything from that film, just mm. because it's the Oscars and you know what were the chances? Um, it's it's but, a bit too contentious, I think. <laughs> yeah, but to get as far as, as it did is just like, she had to have done such a stunning um performance for them to even mention borat in an oscar ceremony do you know yeah. how much they do not want the word borat even uttered anywhere near it oh so, absolutely yeah just well done to her um she also so, wins the award for uh, the uh, most socially distant dress of the evening by ensuring people stay away from her by having a six foot wide dress <laughs> i just gonna love that um so yeah just well well done to have that wonderful performance um so the mank uh amanda seafried if you'd like to mm -hmm. uh, just say a bit about her performance in that um i'm gonna have to double check what character she was in mank um i believe she's the assistant um who's brought in again it's it's a very good performance she's there as a kind of assistant for mank and she is kind of uh, uh, one of the ongoing plot threads of the story is that her husband is a uh, a pilot in the RAF so during the war they're talking about kind of him being off piloting then he goes missing at sea so there's a whole kind of subplot there involving her her family um I'm just double checking yeah so that, that that's who yeah that is who she plays Brilliant. Or is that, uh, no, no hang on Marion Davis no okay no completely wrong character okay so no <laughs> the character that, that she plays is uh the He's the daughter of the producer of the film, and yeah, she, she's kind of a Hollywood starlet. She's playing Marion Davis. Okay. Um, and again, yeah, a, a, an amazing performance again. Moving on to best supporting actor, so we've got winner uh, Daniel Kaluuya uh, for Judas and the Black Messiah, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trials of Chicago Seven. You mentioned him before. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami from uh, Hamilton fame, absolutely wonderful in that. Uh, Paul Racy for Simon Metal and uh, Lakeith Stanfield for Jesus and the Black Messiah. Um, mm -hmm. Paul Racy, any memory of him and um, Simon Metal? Uh, no, no, I'll say I, I, I've not seen it. So I, I know that he is. Oh, sorry, of course. Uh, he, he's 
one of the musicians in the band uh and he's he he, he definitely <laughs> looks like a kind of a metal uh musician sorry i'm forgetting which ones you've seen sorry my yeah, it's fine. Uh, best director we've got a winner nomadland and um, gotta check that one out uh chloe zhao uh yep. another round thomas vinterberg uh mank david fincher uh minari lee isaacs chung and promising young woman emerald fennel um yeah i mean again promising young woman uh beautifully shot as well very nice i think the way they presented it as well is kind of just uh definitely set to make you feel uncomfortable um it it, it is just a beautiful film so i'm not surprised um that she made it into the mix uh, any comments uh, on any of those well i mean in, in all fairness you know given uh the fact that she won best original screenplay for it and was nominated for uh, best director so that that one person she's done incredibly well to to get nominated for both of those so fair play to her i mean certainly between the um screenplay and between the directing um yeah they do not spare the punches with how they shoot it to make you feel exactly how you should feel watching a film like this and yeah, yeah. we got up next best original screenplay promising young women woman winner uh emerald fennel uh, Judas yeah. and Black Messiah, or Will Benson, Shaka King, Will Burson, uh, Kenny Lucas, and Keith Lucas, Mar Marini, Minari, Minari, Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, you can tell I'm dyslexic here. Uh, Sound of Metal, Darius Marder, Abraham Marder, and uh, Derek Seamfronts. And director of, uh, sorry, the trial of the Chicago Seren, Aaron Sorkin, uh, obviously great pedigree there. Um, I've got nothing else on that, you? Um, uh, nothing else really to add to that, other than, you know, again, I, 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 I will have to go and watch Promising Young Woman because, you know, it's, it's uh, an outstanding uh, thing to, to have won Best Original Screenplay and be nominated for Best Director. So uh, I, I think we might just duck. Kind of like uh, cherry picking a little bit here, but we got yeah, um, best adapted screenplay. The winner, uh, the father, Christopher Hampton, and uh, Florian, Florian Zeller. Zeller. Yeah, apparently uh, ad adapted from a play. So, oh, nice. And um, Borat's subsequent movie film. I what was that adapted from? From well, Borat? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe from Borat. Yeah. Again, I will just give a shout out to 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 twice Borat being mentioned in the Oscars. That was never meant to happen. I love it when anything managed to break through, which clearly the Oscars would not have wanted to particularly. Yeah. Um, uh, best animated feature we'll just skip to. So well done to any of the nominees that we don't mention here. Um, so Winner Soul, have you seen this one? I should have. I have indeed. It. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's one that I was actually quite... Uh, hesitant to watch because if you watch the trailer you see the the kind of gorgeous animation of the real world and it looks absolutely phenomenal with all the piano playing and the animation on the piano playing is just absolutely beautiful and then it, it cuts to something a bit more like inside out which is kind of you know blobby figures and different colors and stuff uh and that's the kind of world of the soul and i, I was a so I was a bit hesitant because I really loved the the animation on the real world stuff, but I didn't. I wasn't particularly taken with the kind of soul world animation. 
And I was like, oh, okay. So what, what, what it looks like in the trailer is, you know, the, the guy gets a break and then he dies and then he's in the afterlife and it's all set in the afterlife. But it's not quite that simple. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but it is, it, 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 my, my concerns were not founded at all. And it's a wonderful, wonderful film that kind of explores the concepts of what makes up a person and their like their drives and passions and things like that. And definitely goes on a lot about kind of the impact of music in, in some people's lives. And it's, it certainly resonated for me that you know, music has a, a thing that you enjoy and, and uh, motivates you in your life is a, is a very powerful thing. I mean, it's very rare Pixar makes a misstep. And this was, uh, I think, one of the earliest examples of a movie of that size and animation that size going straight to streaming quite early on mm. in the pandemic as well. So uh, a very yeah. indicative film of the uh, time we find ourselves in and, and how yeah. it got released. Um, it is an excellent film. Oh, excellent. Going to have to check that one out. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Best Anime Feature. We've got Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. I'm just pleased on Man Animation still kind of making it into the Oscars. Uh, Absolutely. Well. Rightly just so. Wanna... And, and I mean, another shout out there for, for Onward, which is another classic, another wonderful film if you've not seen Onward. No, now, no. On, Onward was one of the films I did actually manage to see in the cinema last year. So in the brief period that cinemas were open, I did see Onward. Um, and it's it's kind of a, a high fantasy thing, but it takes the concept of uh, like orcs and magic and high fantasy and moves it on to kind of contemporary society where they've given up on magic and they're relying on technology more than magic. And it's uh, so it's a very big story there. But again, it's about loss and it's about companionship and uh kind of mentoring people through life but through the lens of kind of high fantasy meets technology um and also wonderful running gags for anyone who's ever played dnd &D in their lives which i representing with my ad and d t-shirt this evening um, have you ever played <laughs> no right uh so yeah just the running gags with the gelatinous cube is wonderful for anyone who's ever played dnd &D. so there are some wonderful wonderful nods in there for for role play, tabletop role players so I, I love that film it was really really good so i was very very pleased that it got nominated i mean i i've got to say i i'm starting to wonder what i did watch this year read like, reading something's <laughs> like how did i not watch that hearing you describe it yeah it, it's a fantastic film it, it's a road trip with two brothers uh who happen to be orcs and one of them's a magician and it's yeah it, it's a wonderful story i mean i mean look i was quite happy with my decision to rewatch every episode of cheers followed by every episode of fraser this year but now i'm starting to think i might have missed out on something in the, the current world oh i mean tell me about it dude i've done 24 i've done scrubs i'm now back on house <laughs> I mean, look, I, I know we're talking about the Oscars here, and I'm now going to go on to a little bit of a bit on uh, Cheers and Frasier, but it was so magical. I, I Like, my, my favourite shows when I was a child, and I think I'm allowed to say this now that Nicholas watched them all, um, but, like, it was her first time watching them, because she hates that kind of snobbery of people going, it's like, uh, oh, what, you've never watched this before? Which I kind of agree with her on. But um, she's watched them all now, uh, so I think I can say it, but it was just so wonderful to be able to watch them with her. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to a good time 
Pick a show you love from your childhood and watch with someone who's never watched it before, who you love, and see their face light up and, and realize how wonderful it is. It's just great. I would um, have to say, though, don't 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 try DuckTales. We tried that, and that has not aged well. <laughs> um, best documentary feature. Um, have you... Uh, so I've, got, I've, I've, yeah, I've really got nothing to particularly add on any of the documentary ones. So I haven't seen any of them. Congratulations to the My Octopus's Teacher. And we'll just move on. Yes, um, my oh, teacher, yeah. time sounds really good. Uh, Garrett Bradley, isn't he? I, I may be getting this completely wrong, but I think he's like uh, one of these kind of uh, genius um, scientists who just has written everything about the kind of way time works and everything. If I'm thinking of the right person there, which, you know, chances okay. are I'm not. So uh, best international feature, well done to uh, another round. Now, I mean, a little bit about another round. That, that's one that I do actually want to see because, you know, it, it's a, basically a film about drinking with Matt Mickelson. So <laughs> it's, it, looks, it looks amazing. Well, I'm in now. That's just sold the ticket. I would have just <laughs> scrolled past that. No, Matt, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's totally one that's on my list to watch. So uh, for best original song, uh, well done to Fight For You by Judas and uh, from Judas and the Black Messiah by her... Dernis ML2 and, uh, and Tara Thomas. Now, and uh, this is on... where you... Sorry, go on, sir. Uh, I was going to say just a quick thing on that, because, I mean, obviously, no normally in the Oscar ceremonies, they, they have the best original songs as performances throughout the, 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 web, the telecast. But they didn't this time. They, they did show performances of them in the pre-show, but only if you were watching it in America. So only if you had ABC and were watching the special on there, that was the only way you got to see those original songs. So again, another weird decision to cut that out of the main telecast and put it into the pre-show instead. Very odd. They really did everything apart from like uh, taking a gun and picking off anyone watching it, like just to, to discourage, I think. Uh, they certainly didn't help themselves, let's put it that way. Doesn't feel like they did a lot to help themselves. I'm just going to say that. Uh, again, another one of these ones where it just seems like uh, it was never meant to get to the Oscars, so I, I always love that. I want to give a shout-out to um, Husavik uh, from the Eurovision Song Contest movie, the Song of uh, Fire Saga, uh, which is the Will Ferrell movie. Again, nothing like that's ever meant to make it near the Oscars, so mwah. Yeah, we've got, uh, I just want to give a shout out because I love I love Hamilton. So uh, speak now from One Night in Miami but with Leslie Odom Jr. I'm just going to have to check it out just because just he's in it. That's it. Best and original score. Now, you might have a little bit of something to say about this. This is Soul from uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and uh, John Batiste. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, we've already spoken a bit about kind of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, they, it's not their first rodeo on the Oscars. They won for Social Network back in 2010. And uh, they then went on and did the soundtrack for the Watchmen TV series, amongst other things. Um, and then they this year, they've double nomination for Mank and Soul. Uh, Mank, yeah. the, sound, the, the score for that is kind of reimagined 1920s music so sound like 1920s uh what's it no 1930s sorry is mank so it's yeah it's it's taking music of that era and then the pair of them reworking it soul is a bit different because the score for that is split between the two teams so there's 
Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross who do the music in the in the kind of soulscape. So they're responsible for the the scoring in there. And John Batiste did all the scoring on the Earth side of things, which is all the jazz music, because the the main character is is a jazz pianist. So it's kind of a, it's two halves of a of a score, and and they work incredibly well together. And again, thoroughly well deserved. And nice to hear in their, their interview afterwards that uh, they will be going back and doing some more Nine Inch Nails stuff now that they've got all this Oscar winning out of the way. <laughs> and I believe, uh, didn't they also do some work on, uh, sorry if you mentioned this a minute ago, but didn't they do some work on uh, the Twin Peaks reboot? I'm not sure. Trent Reznor, I've got a feeling, did these soundtrack to that i may be making um, well, no, no, well because normally there, there's a guy that does the twin peaks soundtrack and it's uh, oh, his I name is this fact up then uh let me just double check on that uh, i know they had some uh, guest bands in it maybe he popped up there uh yeah uh, yes so they, they there was nine inch nails playing in the roadhouse in one of the episodes uh, so yes, it wasn't that he did the, the soundtrack, but he, he they actually appeared, Nine Inch Nails appeared in the Roadhouse at the end of an episode, because they ended various episodes with live performances, one of which was Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam also, but he was playing a character that wasn't Eddie Vedder, who was also a musician and there playing at the Roadhouse. It, as with everything else, Twin Peaks, it was bizarre. <laughs> And to be frank, I'll take that. That's like quite close to me to a fact that I said there. That's good enough. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah it's, it's absolutely true. So yeah, it, but why Nine Inch Nails are playing in a random roadhouse in the arse end of nowhere with literally no customers, I don't know. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that reboot. I know it wasn't to everyone's taste, but I thought it was just as suitably as weird as the original, just it's new. Oh, I loved it. I think yeah. Everyone's just got used to the original by now and they've just accepted that, I think anything which comes out of the Twin Peaks world, you have to give a while for everyone to just realize it's genius. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I, I remember halfway through it airing, uh, I was at Nine Worlds, a UK convention, I don't know if you've ever been to, um, that we, we, we had a, a, nine, a, a, a Twin Peaks discussion forum. So there were like about 10 of us sat in a basement room, just going, oh my God, what's going on? And does this mean this? And that's literally like just a bunch of people just nerding out over Twin Peaks in the, in the middle of that run. What I'm going to say is because this uh, unedited version of this conversation is going to go out on the radio on Thursday. And by the way, for anyone less watching on the original broadcast, you can catch this on the bear.live every Thursday from 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Well, not only will you hear this wonderful chat, but you will also hear some musical choices in between and some extra little gubbins along the way. Um, so if you're listening to the radio version, you're now going to enjoy uh, a Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross double bill. Why not? Let's go um, for one of the songs from Soul and uh, one of the songs, uh, you know, one of the scores from Mank as well. So that double bill is going to play right now.
And wow, weren't those some wonderful uh, songs there, people listening on the radio? <laughs> Damn, you're a professional. I know, I know. It's so slick, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so let's go on to cinematography next. Uh, the winner was Mank, um, which was Eric Master Schmidt. Master Schmidt. Yeah, well anything on any of those cinematographies? Uh, well, I mean, as I said earlier, the, the cinematography for Mank, it, that was well-deserved because... The way that it was it was shot and the way it was put together was to make it feel like you were watching it in a 1930s cinema yeah. theater and it was yeah. it was stunningly well done I, I was just picking up on the various cues of it throughout the film and going oh they've done that and oh they've done that and i, I believe that a lot of it is actually shot using really bizarre real life colors that if you see the the, the color footage of it it will look utterly bizarre because they've used colors to make it to make the black and white really yes. pop yeah they had to do that on wonder vision and uh, they took a lot of the effects which they'd used in shows like the monsters back in the day so if you see any of the stills of that loads of stuff's pink because it looks yep. great in black and yep. white exactly so yeah, it, it's using those techniques and also using stuff like day for night. You can obviously tell that they've been using day for night photography by overexposing it. So you can see the shadows of things that are blatantly not the moon. It's sunlight streaming down, but because of the way they've shot it and coloured it, it looks like nighttime. Beautiful. Um, and uh, the Trial of Chicago 7, just that seems like it's something which would lend itself to great cinematography. Yeah. But again... Just sounds like it would. Uh, best visual effects, we've got Tenet. And yeah, that's kind of like a... Did you see a, Tenet? Uh, yes, I did. Um, inscrutable, quite frankly. Like I, I kind of um, just about got what was going on. It, it kind of got better as it went, I feel like. And there was the ideas in it, it were better than the execution. Like, of course, yeah. uh, to be able to have things run, running forward and backward, backwards simultaneously is still very difficult to do, and yeah. they did it seamlessly. So I'm kind of in awe of what they managed to do visually, but uh, the overall what's going on, I'm still not quite quite clear yeah. on, and they don't uh, answer a lot of questions. I guess in, in terms of, uh, of commentary on the technical aspects of the film, um, they I, I know they've said that they favoured using practical effects rather than uh, special effects. So a lot of the kind of backwards photography and stuff was all done practically. So the cars, like all, all the way that all of that worked, it was all practical effects rather than, than uh, special effects. That yeah. was definitely yeah. something that, that he wanted to do throughout the, the, the course of the film to, to make it better visually and i think that does work because when something is real it looks more real than than when you've cgi'd it because that, that does date it but i guess the, my, my biggest kind of problem with with tenor it wasn't so much the plot I, I found the sound really really disconcerting it the sound mix was either off or it was done so it was supposed to be like that because it mm. was confusing you couldn't hear people's dialogue correctly and just the the music was kind of over. Well, the music was too high in the mix, as far as I was concerned, and you just couldn't hear people talking. Yeah. So I, I must admit, I actually fell asleep for about five minutes during the big battle scene, just towards the end, and then woke up and went, "Oh, what a great film! I yay!" Feel like I mentally fell asleep in some bits. It's just like <laughs> too baffling. I'm sorry, but I, I, I feel like there's a big chunk in the middle where you see time. I 
again, I don't feel like we're giving anything away. You'd see time going in one direction with some things, time going forwards with time, with some things happening backwards. And then you mm -hmm. get to see it from the other view of them going yeah. back on those events. And I feel yeah. like if you took that bit from the center and wrote a slightly more engaging plot, to be frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree 100%. The effects they did were wonderful, like just, and there was a great film to be had there. I just don't feel like they nailed it, and I don't yeah. feel like it needed to be two and a half, three hours long, whatever it was. It just, yeah. I would a agree. Great two-hour kind of like a, a sci-fi romp would have been amazing, where you just see time being reversed. It would have just been wonderful. There was something there. So uh, well done to uh, Andrew Jackson, David Lee, uh, Andrew Lockie, and uh, Scott Fisher for, for their win there, though. Um, yeah, again, visually, it cannot be beaten. Um, yeah, well deserved. Um, congratulations to all the nominees there. I, I haven't seen any of the other films. Uh, best film editing, Sound of Metal. Again, we've kind of talked about that a bit. Uh, so one down to Mikkel E.G. Uh, Nielsen. Um, just going to... Oh, and again, another one there for uh, Promising Young Women. Again, very tightly edited, very nicely, kind of like uh, going between things to create the right effect. Uh, best costume design, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Roth. Uh, a kind of not surprising period pieces. Um, yeah, period not... piece. Yeah, always, always up there on costume design awards with period pieces. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, something you mentioned already is best um, sound went to uh, Sound of Metal. Um, again, kind of like sounds like just if they didn't nail that the movie wouldn't work and so, absolutely you know for, for a film that's about sound it's you know it, it it's kind of good that it was the one that won best sound interestingly as a fact there for those who don't know this is the first time that they've combined sound editing and sound mixing into best sound normally they have individual awards uh, but in this case this year onwards now they're, they're just having best sound excellent and hopefully for next year make a bit of room for playing some clips i don't know maybe, maybe. but you know I, I mean I, but when i hear a category like best sound i just think it should be like a, like a fart noise or something and that's the, yeah that's the best sound <laughs> genuinely it, it may be the best sound it always gives me a giggle <laughs> now nicola might disagree when i let one go or one of the dogs go, but <laughs> that's her problem not mine <laughs> Production design went to Mank. Uh, I'm just going to skip through a couple of these. Best makeup and hairstyling, I'm sure. Wonderful and fascinating, and I do respect the art. Not something I've got a lot to say about, though. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, well done uh, for that. Uh, best live action short. Now, this is one I want to talk about. This is Two Distant Strangers won this. Uh, Trayvon Free and Martin Desenroe. Uh, did you see this in the end before? I, I haven't seen this, but this is the one that you recommended me to watch, and I will get around to seeing it, but I haven't yet. It's just so wonderful because um, it's it's a time loop movie, which is always going to get me watching at very least. I don't care what you do with a time loop. I'm going to watch it. It's a kind of very a la Groundhog Day. And in this one, um, it's a black guy who's kind of just trying to leave the apartment of a lady he's had a, um, a first night stand with. I won't say it's a one night stand. They seem to be kind of very into each other. And he's leaving to get home to his dog. That's a very simple premise. He goes out the door, though, and this cop kills him. He then wakes up again at the beginning of things. And each time he goes back through it, the cop kills him. Like, you know, different... Again, I'll try not to spare it, spoil it too much, but in the trailer, they kind of show you a bit of this. Uh, like, you know, one of them, he just decides not to leave the flat, and the cop breaks down the door with a SWAT team. Uh, so the inventive ways they find of keeping it going is wonderful. 
Um, but talk about a movie of the moment. You know, obviously with a short, you can you're more apt to be able to get something out when it's still in the news. Unfortunately, the news of a black guy getting killed by a white cop isn't something which ever seems to go out the fucking news, unfortunately. Um, but this was just so wonderfully done. I think it's an absolute fine thing to talk about the issues, and I'm glad we've got films to do. However, it's really great when they manage to do that artfully without feeling like you're getting hit over the head with it. Whilst tackling the subject head on, I think this does this beautifully. There's just one scene where they show an overhead shot going over the buildings, and there's just one building which has got just um, graffitied on the top of the building all these uh, young black people who've got killed in such murders as, you know, um, Breonna Taylor, and she's got the names just listed there. doesn't make reference to it, just goes past it. It's just a wonderful way of just putting that in there. And at the end of the film, they have a list of all these kind of um, black people who've just got killed senselessly by cops, you know, and, um, you know, anyone who's watching who wants to say anything they want about like, oh, it's not all cops, cops are generally good. Yeah, sure, cops are generally good, but there are far too many who aren't, who are getting away with shit. And, you know, uh, I watched this just after I saw the sentencing of uh, uh, one of the cops who was involved in the um, murder. Sorry, I'm going to blank on his name now. Um, it's in the news just now. Uh, I'm so bad with names. I'm, George Floyd, is it? George Floyd. I'm really sorry. This is no disrespect. I am not. I, I, I have a blindness for names. It's just generally. Please don't take that as disrespect. But uh, George Floyd. And they. Um, they send this one cop out of so many who were involved. And uh, it, it was, I was trying to remember the word of it, like accidental homicide, or it was some, some wording which involves the word accidental. It's like, how do you accidentally have someone's, your knee on someone's neck for nine minutes? Um, and so to have a movie which not only deals with those themes and to watch it just as that news is, is hitting about that sentencing, um, it just really brings it home. And again, it was just done so well. So it doesn't feel like it's preaching. It's just a guy who's trying to leave the flat and just keeps on getting slain by this guy. And uh, there's a kind of couple of twists along the way where he kind of addresses and talks to the guy. And uh, you find out a little more and, and stuff happens, which I don't want to spoil. But it, it's it's wonderful. It's perfect for the time, but it's perfectly pitched so that it kind of um, talks at you. It covers the issues, but it doesn't talk down to you. It doesn't... Um, get overly preachy for a movie if that makes sense um mm. but I, I'm, I'm glad it tackles this subject at a time like this and and a well-deserved winner um, and i think i mean if you don't mind it, it kind of segues nicely into the best animated short winner which is a kind of similar thing about gun control and kind of mass shootings in american schools um so again it's a very very hard-hitting piece uh that deals with kind of grief and loss of the parents um and the the, the guys when they, they came up to accept the award and also in, in the press room afterwards uh were very they, they were very eloquent in explaining their their kind of standpoint on it because people i know they were another one i really wanted to kind of talk to because I was very interested in what they hoped would be the kind of impact of their film and whether it would whether any new legislation or anything would come into place based on on what they'd done and they kind of said well do you know what they had to kind of try and divorce the political aspect from the creative process because they they, they wanted to deal with the grief but they didn't want to try and be political 
and just kind of leave that up to the people who are watching it to see what they want to take out of it and whether they will they want to move on and do something about it because obviously gun control in the US is such a massive problem. Uh, well, I mean, even in the UK, we've had someone firing shots in a in a college in the UK in the last couple of days. So you know, it's it is a problem everywhere. So it, it, it's it's a very very poignant short, and and yeah, I would I would encourage anyone to watch it. Um, yeah, um, I, I will be checking that one out myself. Um, yeah, just a couple more categories very quickly. So we've got Best Animated Short, Winner, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Will McCormack and uh, Michael Govia. Um, yeah, so that's the one I was just talking about. Oh, sorry, that was, sorry, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, Spill's just covered that there. Best Documentary Short, Winner, Colette, uh, Anthony Giacchino and uh, Alice Doyard. Um, so congratulations to that one. Uh, that that's it for the runners and writers for the Oscars. Uh, Spindles, I'm aware we've kind of gone a bit longer on that than uh, I'd kind of maybe planned it. Have you got enough time to talk Falcon the Winter Soldier briefly? Yeah, 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 sure. Awesome. Um, so the way it went, actually, what we will quickly do again, I will just add myself a little bit of air here to add in a song for the uh, radio people. So if you're listening to this radio, you will now enjoy. Uh, Movies by Ending and Anthem. Let's theme in that way. Uh, Spindles, give give us another track you want to hear after uh, Movies by Ending and Anthem. If you want to theme it into the week, cool. Ah, oh, gradually. <laughs> Pick a tune you want to hear. It's all it's all good. There's no pressure here. Oh, but you see that that's so difficult. That's how you know I do whole shows about tunes you want to hear, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this is Movies by Alien Anthem. Enjoy if you listen to this on the radio. was movies by alien ant farm followed potentially by another tune if i've put another one in there i don't know i'm i'm recording this for, for the uh for the good people who are watching on the video if you listen to this in audio you know what you heard wasn't it great moving swiftly on let's talk about uh falcon and winter soldier so this was originally going to be the second thing to come out it was originally going to be or uh no no the other way it's going to be falcon and winter soldier was, then yeah, winter vision then one for me, I must admit, WandaVision's more in my wheelhouse, like, because I, I love the magic and fancy of it. This, a bit more of a buddy cop kind of uh, movie, uh, it did again, uh, seems very poignant for the themes of the day, given that it's all about can a black man hold Captain America's shield? And as he uh, rejects it to begin with, he goes on this journey where uh, we find out a bit of history from the shield, which is uh, covered in comics long since. Uh, about Isaiah Bradley, who used to, um, who was used uh, after Captain America to have the super soldier serum, and you find out about these black men who were just experimented on and just cast aside afterwards. Um, a very powerful, very interesting story. Uh, I think maybe for me, this one, given that it had six episodes, I felt in the earlier episodes we had some wonderful action scenes, but uh, uh, to me, I want to see the plot kind of going on really I, I you know I, I don't begrudge these action scenes it's not my jammy jam I want to kind of pull it up front and then a, a action scene to justify that 
be justified by and, that. And I think I, I think I would echo that entirely because my my mine and, and everybody else in in my household thoughts when we were watching that was, oh Jesus, is it all going to be like this? Because we're like, it's it's a great action scene and wow, it looks amazing. But what 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 narrative purpose did it serve other than to introduce the fact he was working with some guy in the army? Literally, that was the only device it served. I think it also addressed the fact that they have a load of money to spend and they really wanted you to know that going in. Well, and that's it. And to justify the eight minutes of credits at the end of an episode, you know. <laughs> yes, there is that too. Um, I just found this one really, like, you know, once it got to where it was going, like, if this was a two-hour movie, which it feels like is in there, um, there's a lot of that stuff that, you know, again, you'd have that action scene in there somewhere because, of course, you've got to always have the action scene and you could put that in a place where it's a lot more justified, I felt. Um, but I just don't think you need that up front. That, that would never make it into the two-hour movie cut where it was. No, no. It, it, I, I'm, yeah, so I, I would agree entirely. It looked amazing, but it, for me, served no narrative purpose at all. Yeah, and... You know, as much as I appreciate building up the story of like, uh, hey, this is where the um, the Winter Soldier's at. This is what he's doing with his list and everything. This is where um, the would-be new Captain America, uh, the Falcon, is. Uh, it also seemed a long while before we got them together as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it did. Um, I, yeah, I, again, I, I don't know why they, they made that decision because... I don't know. It's potentially falling foul of the, the usual problem that I have with shows like this, where just because you've got six hours to tell a story doesn't mean you need to use the first two hours to do nothing. Exactly. And given that the order it did end up coming out in, we just had WandaVision, which, like, you know, anyone can say what they like about those two uh, earlier sitcom episodes they had up front of that. It certainly paid dividends later. It certainly I, I absolutely it. loved it. I, I, I was on board literally from the first episode. I was like, yeah, more of this. This is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I loved all those classic sitcoms, so I was already in the pocket just to see that. Yeah. I just could have had a good time with that alone. Hell yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, if the whole thing had been like that, that would have been great with the occasional breaking of character and stuff. That would have been wonderful, but yeah. And, and in that show, you sort of had to build up the safe world which she existed in, and then gradually building the danger as her world has been shattered that's what it was all about so it's kind of it's all justified by the end by the end of this i didn't go now i see why we had those first two yeah. episodes no i as i said there was a lot of things that, that weren't justified you know bucky's kind of story to redemption that was fine and that was that was handled with a, a nice arc um I, I I must admit I came out at the end of the episode still wondering what Carly's exact problem was with the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was vaguely something about well, people came back and then people weren't treated quite as well, and we want to go back to that, and that was as much as I got. But I was like, okay, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me uh, beyond there are more super soldiers out there. Yeah, and, and the idea that it brought in, the whole idea that um, using the uh, the snap as a a mirror to like, you know, okay, a lot of these people who went away and then had to come back and try and get their lives back and, and they were gone, a parallel to kind of the, um, the, the, the story of kind of the um, 
first black super soldier and the story of kind of how black America is seen and the struggles they face, which then are now visited upon so many other people. The powers were there, but I, I feel like they could have just concentrated on that a lot more. I would have loved a, an episode in Isaiah Bradley. I would love more with that guy. Like it was mm. instantly fascinating, this whole idea. And again, it's, it's come straight from the comics as some of these best ideas do. Yep. And it was just wonderful to see this, um, to see a comic material dealing with um, the way that black people are used and discarded in America, you know, and using mm. that as a parallel and using how there is hope that it can be different. It's it's not yeah. different. We know it's not different in the real world, but it, it could be. There, there is well, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, this is a conversation that's happening a lot at the moment is about, you know, the recognition for, for soldiers in World War II and stuff who were just forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you introduce the uh, new Captain America, which was genius. I love the idea that, you know, Sam goes like, Okay, no one should have the shield. It should be in museum America, like America as a uh, the American it, it military goes, like, goes. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's perfect. That's exactly what would happen. It's like, well, you know, we want to honor Steve Rogers by like keeping this museum. Yeah, we'll honor him by giving it to another dude who just don't worry. Like, you leave it with us. It'll be fine. <laughs> Which again is kind of a perfect parallel for America and England. I won't, you know, I'm not not claiming our shit don't stick either, you know. But um, it it was just it was the perfect kind of um, setup for the guy as well. He doesn't doesn't have the uh, so super soldier serum. He's just a really good vet. He's just really yeah. um, accomplished. He's done some wonderful things in the army. And then to bring in his kind of jealousy, he's got his built-in kind of sidekick there as well along in the story. Yeah. Um, I think they cast it perfectly as well for a guy who is kind of quite handsome and good-looking. But as soon as you put the helmet on him, he looks like a goober. He just does not look good with the helmet. He looks like uh, the dad from – oh, the granddad from Up. Yeah, it, it was wonderful. Like, I kind of feel like he needed to look shit in the outfit. Yeah. <laughs> that was just necessary uh and just i i loved his story just i i loved having him just straight from the get-go you could tell he was trying to do good and that's what kind of uh gives the challenge to falcon and the winter soldier that they've got to decide it's like look we we don't want him to have had the shield because we wanted to do this with it and you know of course bucky is there you know pissed off that the shield was just so easily given away and, you know, I love the exploration later on the whole idea that, you know, well, if the shield's given away, who am I? You know, like the, the shield as a metaphor for him was just great. Yeah. And when the guy just, um, you know, they finally start being one round and suddenly start giving the guy a bit of credit and then he just fucking goes nuts. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. One it was very well handled. That The end of that episode was was particularly, particularly impressive. Uh, just the moment where, you know, even he, you could tell he is trying to do better in it. And then there's mm. a moment when his friend gets killed. He's like, just cool, snapped. I'm going to behead a dude with a shield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very powerful. It's a very powerful image, the end of that episode. Yeah, and uh, the whole idea that um, literally there is blood on the shield, you know, the, uh, the fact that it leaves you at the end of that week of, can you reclaim the shield now? Can you reclaim well, the shield? Well, it essentially parallels the, the ending of Civil War when Cap essentially does the same thing to Tony Stark 
but doesn't kill him, even though you think for a second he might. Yeah. So it and very much parallels that moment. Well, it shows you if you haven't got the guy who was really that pure of heart with the yeah. shield, all it takes is that little bit of impurity, that little Absolutely. bit of rage in the face of losing your friend uh, to, to, to perform that, that hideous act and just behead someone. And it's the fact that afterwards he's going, it's like, what, I'm Captain America? What? What? Why you guys treat me like I've done something wrong here? I just yeah. beheaded a dude with the Captain America shield. What's up, guys? <laughs> Well, but then again, his his response is, I'm only doing what you taught me and trained me to do, which is absolutely valid. Yeah. And again, is a great parallel for all these soldiers who came home from uh, yeah. so many wars. And uh, this country who said, it's like, oh, you're our heroes. We'll never forget. As soon as they come home, we've seen how soldiers end up getting treated um, yeah, yeah, from yeah. Vietnam to, to the recent Gulf War. It, it's yep. still happening. It's still uh, so much inequality for soldiers. So I want, love that wonderful um, social commentary because mm. I think you and I are probably on the same page that we kind of uh, yeah. love the soldiers, not so much the wars. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I love the first blood, the Rambo first blood. That first film is so poignant uh, and is utterly on point with, with this kind of story that, you know, America just forgot its vets and would rather shift them on through town than actually, you know, help them out. Yeah, and uh, and as opposed to having this guy, like obviously, again, he has fallen off the rails. They have to kind of rein him in. They have to kind of get the shield off him. And there's just this wonderful fight scene with him. And of course, he gets hold of this super soldier serum. When he mm -hmm. does go nuts with the super soldier serum as well, which tried to say that uh, a few times fast after a few more of these. Uh, but uh, <laughs> when he does get hold of the super soldier serum, it's the fact that they still. I love the fact that Marvel movies are complicated and TV shows in this case are complicated enough that even though he has fallen off the rails, even though we know he's going to become a US agent, mm. he is still capable of doing something good. He is still a guy who was a vet at the end of the day and he yep. may have lost his way. But when there's a um, car full of people uh, going off the edge, he will still yep. pull them back. Indeed, yeah. He's still, you know, he's he still got that thing that he wants to protect people. Yeah. And uh, there's so much this wonderful stuff. But then we get like an episode where we're just on about like them fixing out boat for a lot of it as well. But I, I, do you know what? I think that's where this, this series excelled. The, the dialogue writing in the conversations between Bucky and Sam, I thought were absolutely perfect. Uh, the, the writers of that, that was some of the best dialogue I've ever seen. It was so, so well done. And the characterization of those two and their interaction was just brilliant throughout the entire show. I can agree more. I loved it. I just feel like, you know, the boat bit could have been cut down a little bit. And yeah, I, yeah. I, for me, it was the scene where they were stood there just um, tossing the shield around and catching it from each other. And they were having that conversation. And just they had that moment to stop after everything they've gone through and uh, their disagreements, their agreements, things which mm. uh, they wanted out of it. And they just got to have that very human conversation about, you know, uh, why it hurt Bucky so much to, yeah. to have the shield given away and why Sam didn't feel like he could just take up the shield so quickly. And, yeah. um, you know, to bring Isaiah Bradley into that kind of thought process. And mm. both at the same time, it gives him a reason why he 
feels like he shouldn't have the shield and why he has to have the shield yeah. in honor of people like him who got overlooked and uh, the yeah. first scene where you obviously there's the end of the episode kind of uh, like thing where they open the bag up and you just know it's got to be some form of the captain america outfit yeah. and you see him cruising down like the uh falcon captain america hybrid is just just wonderful just genius. it's great it's a, it's a great reveal but I'm, I'm going to give props to the to my my favorite character in it who we haven't mentioned so far which is zemo he is a stunning character i love him to bits he's you know as a complicated villain he's great yeah it's just the the um thing of you know ultimately that you shouldn't like him but when he's there just like uh just taking the piss out of him on his private jet <laughs> and you I, I know, like, I must admit, I didn't know the history of this, but I know it meant a lot to a lot of people for him to be actually called Count Zemo and to have the yeah. mask on as well. Yeah. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. yeah it's he, just, he's it's, great. I think if there's one thing Marvel does well, certainly in the TV series, is having sympathetic villains. And I found that, again, this was a show that dealt with sympathetic villains very well because, you know, Carly, we, we were kind of made to feel like her struggle was was real and was important and not necessarily evil although the way that she was going about things could be construed as being evil and getting innocent people killed along the way but then again that's exactly what other people were doing that's exactly what the sokovia records were set up because of is because innocent people were getting killed in the crossfire and it is that at any point justified so i think Again, Marvel has done a very, very good job of making the villains sympathetic. Yeah, and I, I, I love the fact that it's kind of uh, Zemo kind of fulfills that uh, Loki role without being a like kind of a Loki copy in, in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, as you say, what they do fantastically in these shows. And for me, I, I do love a good speech, me, and, and the bit where. Um, where he gives that wonderful speech to the cameras and it was just genius watching with nicola because i like the show this is us and i know it's a uh a kind of a weepy family drama kind of thing um but i just it every five minutes they can't help but stop and give a poignant speech in that show and when yeah. he went into this and i was so in the pocket i'm like nearly got tears coming down my eyes nicola goes Oh man, this is as bad as this is it, like <laughs> for speeches. And I go, no, no, it's beautiful. He's saying everything about America and where it's at and where it needs to be and the ideas of America versus the reality of America. <laughs> it's just so lovely. And you know, black man with a shield, quite frankly. Like the fact that, that that that's possible and that he's able to do this, but he's still not uh, accepting the status quo, he's still challenging. A, a black man with a shield is the same as having a black president. The work isn't over then. It just means yeah, yeah. We, we've finally done this. Now let's do more. And uh, I just thought it was wonderfully handled. And of course, you've got the, uh, again, what I think these movies do really well and these TV shows is to introduce actors who will mean something to people who don't traditionally like superhero fare into the um, superhero world. And you've got uh, Louis. Louis Dewey Dreyfus. I'm slightly butchering your name there. Uh, from Seinfeld. And from oh, Beep. well, yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, um, I know who you mean, but I, I don't know who the actress is. Uh, she comes in as the um, 
obviously the shady character. Val, don't call me Val. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Apparently, there was a lot of secrecy about bringing her on set, but to be honest, I, I don't know who she is, so that one was lost on me. Oh. Um, absolutely wonderful, wonderful actress, great and everything. And I know she's one of those actors. It's like when you get Robert Redford uh, in the um, in the Marvel movies, and suddenly people who don't, don't know anything about this, oh, Robert Redford's in it. I'll give that a go. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it, the only one thing I will say is uh, I have heard of um a u.s agent but it's when she goes they don't need a captain america they need a u.s agent which yeah okay it means something if you know who that is but in the worlds of that movie that that tv show it doesn't actually really mean anything like i um, feel like you have to justify a reason why you're saying that in in such bold italics at that moment in the film or in the, the TV show, I know I keep referring to a film, just because these things fall. Then again, they, they did it in WandaVision when they first call Wanda the Scarlet Witch, and it's like, da-da-da-da, and it's like, well, that's what we've been calling her. Oh, no, they haven't. They've only been calling her Wanda or Miss Maximoff. And, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. At least with that, you could kind of justify the way they, they couched it was as if this is a foretold thing. It's like, the yeah. Scarlet oh, my God, you're the Scarlet Witch. It means something to her, so there's a reason yeah. for her to say it like that. It needs yeah. a U.S. agent like that means something yeah. to everyone, and it yeah. really doesn't. But and yeah. it doesn't. And it's like okay, cheesy, but yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, th th this could have brought a lot more people on board because you know it wasn't really a superhero thing. It was an international spy thriller. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you kind of round off by kind of going to the museum. Uh, very ala. I know I'm not the first one to to say this, but it's very ala. Vincent and the Doctor from Doctor Who, when he yeah. takes Vincent Van Gogh to see yeah. his work uh, uh, writ large, and you get this um, guy who uh, has been experimented on finally seeing himself recognised. Um, and that was the thing he wanted, is he wanted that recognition, and that, that it was nice that it rounded it off by giving that to him. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, for me, overall, I uh, I did enjoy it. I think it kind of finished a lot stronger than it started. I think still you could have trimmed two episodes off it and you would have had a kind of perfect show. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. The Captain America fair has never been my favorite of any of the Marvel strands. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I like the characters as, as buddy characters. I think Bucky and, and Sam were great. Yeah. And you've got it nicely set up for the, um, so you've got uh, Sharon Carter now undercover um, uh, amongst the um, the brass of America, so she's nicely put to set up another uh, wave of Hydra there. Yep, that's very nice. And obviously, uh, I think the character who was brought in, um, Val, don't call me Val. I think she is a, a Madam Hydra. I believe I heard. Yeah, her I think so. From the yeah. comics. Um, so yeah, you definitely got a lot of stuff. This is the best thing: is they're not scared from these TV shows to influence what's going to influence what's going to go ahead in the movie. So even though we had um, Sam already picking up the shield, and we kind of knew at the end of that that he might be Captain America, and at the end of this he is, so it's not the hugest didactic change in him. The other yeah. stuff which it does plant, which is clearly going to come up um, in the movies, is just you know. It's kind of some, some big stuff planted in there, ready for the movies. Definitely. Uh, Seth, thank you very much for joining us tonight. You're more than welcome, sir. It's been lovely lovely nerding out with you, as always. It's been wonderful. And so, of course, uh, where can they check out everything Wonky Spanner? 
uh, yeah, absolutely. Go to the website, wonkyspanner.com. Um, I, I, we are relaunching a new version of the website in the coming weeks, which I've been working hard on. Uh, so that will be being released. There's also the YouTube channel, which just go there and, and search for Wonky Spanner and you will find us and subscribe to the stuff we've got going on there. Um, and hopefully we've got a new podcast being launched in the coming weeks as well. So, yeah, come check Ooh. us out. After I quickly go, he said hard on, uh, what's the new podcast? Um, it's something that I've been working, well, an idea that I've been banding around for a while called Nerdscape Navigator, um, which is uh, a kind of a magazine show with Star Trek influence. Uh, it's just a bit of a weird idea. It, it's taking a lot more production than any of my previous podcasts, which are all just like sit, talk top and tail release this one actually has like bumpers and it has sound effects and it's a, a little more production heavy awesome and uh if you have a moment to go onto the wonky spanner you might find a show called due south by southeast which is uh well, some drunkards over some uh glasses of rum talking about due south and occasionally interviewing some of the people uh from the show he might even occasionally hear some of those uh, good folks appearing in the feed for the Dr. Squee show as well. So it just ties it all nicely into a bow. Uh, so please, yeah, obviously that's the show which I do with Nicola and with Michelle. So please uh, do check that out on the wonkyspanner.com. Thank you very much, Spindles. You're more than welcome, sir. It's been a pleasure. And that was an Alan Silvestri double bill. So that was the Avengers theme and Back to the Future. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, we're, we're at that kind of weird point where we haven't got enough time for one more track, but we've got a little bit more time left on the show. So I'm just going to very quickly say that uh, I realized actually uh, a week late that last week, should have been the anniversary of the Dr. Squeeze show. We turned one year. Uh, so we're going to do a bit of a belated birthday thing next week. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for that. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for my guest, Simon Spindles Potast. And uh, to all of you at home for listening, I've been Dr. Squeeze. That was my show. And please remember, guys, in a world where you can be literally anything, please be kind. I'm not trying to win. I'm not doing this because I want to beat someone. Because I hate someone, or because because I want to blame someone? It's not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right! Because it's decent! And above all, it's kind! It's just that. Just kind. Hey, you know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best I can do. Why not? Just at the end.
Tonight at eight o'clock, I know where I'm gonna go.